This is CliffCentral.com. Here's a powerful thing. I mean, it's got a lot of firepower. If you can figure out a way to wrestle that fear, to push you from behind rather than stand in front of you, that's very powerful. Multiplying leadership, moving society, the millennial way. You don't want to end up going after goals and dreams and neglect yourself. Welcome to the Youth Leadership Platform with your host, Bongani Dao. Take control. Take control of your city. This is the instrument of your liberation. See, old friend, I brought more soldiers than you did. Identify yourself to the world. Youth Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Uh, thank you for joining us on the Youth Leadership Platform. Welcome. It's so nice to be here and talking to such an important constituency. You all terrify me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll jump straight into it and... In, in the opening parts of the book, you, you speak about how you are only a few steps up the ladder. Do you feel that there's a lot that you haven't accomplished? Okay, let me try and answer that in two respects. One is I genuinely subscribe to that. I think that uh, I'm one of those people, and I think maybe I speak for a lot of your audience as well. I think that I'm plagued by self-doubt. I think I have very low self-esteem. Uh, I'm always worried that whatever I do isn't good enough. And I've said to people before, the French have a magnificent statement. Um, I'm not going to say it in, fr- in French, but it's called the spirit of the staircase. And the spirit of the staircase is when you are confronted with a situation, you say something or do something, and only five hours later when you're driving home, when you're sitting in the bath, whatever you're doing, and you remember what you should have said. Mm. I'm always plagued by that. I always think I can do better. So I absolutely subscribe to that. The second thing is, do I still have lots to achieve? Bongani, of course I have lots to achieve. There there are many things. I am 46,500 words into my first novel, which I hope will be out a little bit later this year. I'm not going to tell you about that. I want to um, do a lot more in-depth interviewing. It's something that I really love. I want to write the follow-up to this book that we're talking about okay. called Win. It's called Wise. Hmm. Um, I think that in South Africa with so many young people like yourself, millennials, and I live in absolute respect of millennials, I think that we sometimes discount the value Mm. of wisdom in this country. Mm. People who have done great things, whether it be a uh, a, a Justice Dikhamoseneke, whether it be, well, you you know the list of of, of clever and wise (laughs) people in this country. What I want to try and do is tap into their wisdom and perhaps give people some some insight. Um, I also want to try and relax more if I can as well. So I've got lots to do still. I'm still a fairly young man, but I'm not going to tell you my age. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so getting into some of the people that you've mm. been able to interview right, and extracting some of the principles and, and relaying them or speaking about them in the context of, of your life and your career. Cheryl, the, one of the first people that you've interviewed, she speaks about um, success um, in one of many, um, should I say, connotations. 
And what one of the things that she speaks about is service. And she's quoted to say, you don't succeed in a pool of misery. Mm. Do you concur with that? I absolutely concur with that. I think that she also makes the point that if you are a successful person, you have a moral responsibility to make sure that you are uplifting other people. Um, I think it feeds into this rather over-traded comment that we have in South Africa at the moment called Ubuntu, but we buy into it. Mm -hmm. The fact is if you've achieved something, the point that she's trying to make here is that as you have achieved that success, as you have become a winning person, others have helped you along the way. And damn it, you have an obligation to make sure that as you are reaping the rewards of that success, uh, Bongani, uh, you have to make absolutely sure that you are paying it forward, you're passing it on, and the people that helped you up the way uh, are, are, um, are helping you. And part of it is also remaining positive. You cannot be miserable. Hmm. I genuinely think sometimes, and I think with absolute cause that we can be a very miserable country sometimes we are very self-introspective we take things very seriously we get upset at the slightest possible thing and often with good cause i'm not for one moment saying that we should now become a happy sunshine country uh, but we have to sometimes move beyond the misery to look at what we've achieved what we can achieve and uh, the role that we have to play in it that is all about winning. Listen, I take a lot of. I, sorry to interrupt you. I no, mean, I take a lot okay. of. I take. I take a lot of inspiration from Cheryl Carolus. I think we need a lot more of, of her around. Two other things she mentions is mm. one is resilience. Mm. In in thirty years of being in the industry, you've had a lot of um, social media backlash, some media black backlash as well. Just people just picking at you. Recently, there's been people that have been. Um, talking bad things, or you, you let, call, it, you call it abuse. On, let, on, let, on, on let, you, you saw the tweet this morning. Sure, let, let's sure. dive straight into it. Let me yeah. address it with you. First of all, categorically, unequivocally, I am not going to the SABC. Sure. The origin of this ridiculous story was in in a, in a Sunday tabloid, and I have worked on Sunday newspapers before. I know how this goes. Okay, I think there was a line which said, "Station insiders suggest," okay, which is rubbish. Yeah. Um, the reality is in this world of hyperventilated, hyper accentuated social media, what tends to happen is that people don't read, they don't research and they just jump onto the bandwagon. Hmm. And what happens out of that is, is, is social media trolling. I have learned in my, in my career to let it mostly wash off my back. Okay. I think that we live in a media echo chamber. I think we live in a bubble. And I think that if you take these things too seriously, uh, it, uh, it, it, it's, it's ridiculous. It just doesn't work. You have to develop a backbone. Hmm. You have to develop a, a, a feeling of, 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 of resilience over that. Resilience is a good word. So, yeah, I've developed it. Every single person that is in this book, to a greater or lesser extent, has been someone who is resilient. They've overcome the odds, and they've looked at beyond small things that irk and irritate. Hmm. Having said that, though, and let me bear my uh, let me bear my soul here a little bit to you. Sure, I'm not going to say that it doesn't hurt. Mm. Uh, people can be very nasty in this country. They hide behind anonymous Twitter accounts. Mm. Uh, there are abusive telephone calls that you receive. It's not nice, and it's back to that pool of misery thing that you picked up with Cheryl Carolus. We've sure. got to move beyond that. Um, 
we've got to try and be a little bit more positive and a little bit more optimistic. But once again, I'm not going to the SABC. I was there 10 years ago, 15 years ago, SAFM. I am a firm believer, as should you and your audience. Uh, I'm a firm believer in the, the power and the importance of a good, solid public broadcaster. Sure. We need one. And anybody that they recruit, and it doesn't matter what the color of their skin is, in my opinion, as long as they're adding to the broader, diverse discourse in this country, I think it's, it, it's going to strengthen the public broadcaster. I wish it nothing but success, but I'm not going to be part of it. Covering news without fear or favor. Precisely. That's the dictum At that the I've lived with. That's the dictum that I've lived with all my sure. life. What are some rituals like uh, Cheryl? Um, she speaks about how every single year on her birthday, she looks at a contact list and she just detoxes from people that do not contribute or add value to her life. Bongani, isn't that a brilliant thing? It is. It yeah. is. It is. I, f- I found it that... Um, then she opens the champagne. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some rituals um, similar to that or even different that you've adopted to, to your life and you feel that they're helping you in this journey? Okay, I would probably go straight to the champagne before detoxing people. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a great person for, for, for rituals, but what I will say is that I have learned to deal with the ritual of or the, the, the onset of panic and fear by just practicing lots of deep breathing. And this is something else that you might, that might surprise you. I've been in this business, the broadcasting business, behind a microphone for 30 years now. Sure. Every single time, whether it is an interview with someone as accomplished as you, whether it is getting behind a microphone on my own uh, TV show, Newsday on ENCA every day, or whether it's uh, my radio career, that 10, 15 seconds before the red light comes on, I'm not seeing a red light in the studio here, <laughs> short somewhere, when that red light comes on, yes. I am as nervous today as I was 30 years ago. Hmm. So my ritual is I take at least five or ten deep breaths and I revisit the success that I have achieved on air, whether it's a great interview, whether I have ambushed a politician, whether I have spoken to the victim of a tragedy and been able to tap into their empathy. That replays very quickly in my head and I say to myself, I can do it. Mm. Then I have the champagne. Could, could you, could Not you really. say? <laughs> um, Adrian Gore um, speaks a lot into um, the power and the value of exercising yeah. on your journey to yeah. success. Do we have to go there? But okay, w- let, would, let's would, let's would, go there. Would you attribute this this young-looking, fine young man in front of me to exercise? Don't 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 flatter <laughs> me, my friend. Okay, all right. Um, first of all, let, let's talk about Adrian Gore. He's the chief executive officer of sure. Discovery Health. Sure, uh, he is um, the most astonishing individual. I make the point in my book that before the interview, uh, before I interviewed him for the book, he walked in. It was a lunchtime interview, and he had done fifty quick press ups uh, before he started the interview. And I instantly hated him for that because <laughs> I, because, but I hadn't done that. Look, uh, look at me. I mean, I'm not, I, I'd like to exercise more. Um, I, I have a mountain bike that I ride very slowly. I, I walk my dog every day. I've got a very old recalcitrant basset hound. I try to walk him every day. I love to. I try to go to gym when I can. But believe me, thank you for saying I look young, which I, it's literally not true. But second of all, um, it's got absolutely nothing to do with an exercise regimen. I wish there was one, but there isn't. <laughs> it's a um, terrible question, that. <laughs> um, deeming you as, as, as a successful peop, uh, person, 
um, having been in the industry and having done some amazing things. There's, there's so many memorable things that you've that you've done with um, Want to Be a Millionaire, um, covering Chris Hani mm. and um, uh, Princess Diana. And, and and a lot of other uh, stories that that mm. you've been able to, to to cover live. Do you think you you open the backstory with talking about um, that? What I was saying that you don't feel that you're there yet. Do you think, like Adrian Gore, you are a contrarian? And how does that help you then to reinvent yourself? To okay, that's a very sharp do question. I, I don't. I like to think of myself as a contrarian. Okay. And I think a contrarian is someone who challenges the status quo all the time. And I think we try to build on that. I am not a contrarian, though. I think I am very much part of the broader media establishment. I look at this media setup, which is built on the whole notion of being uh, cont- being contrarians. I look at, um, at, at, at at the founder, Gareth Cliff. Sure. And as you and I are talking, um, I can see him out of the corner of my eye doing a pre-recorded interview for his show. Sure. And I'm sure whoever he's talking to, he's giving that person a hard time. <laughs> and he's coming at it from a completely different angle. Yes. Mongani, I try to be. But what has driven my uh, what has driven my dictum in, in 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 journalism is I listen very closely. I have developed over many years a strong bullshit detector. Hmm. I'm very good at that. Hmm. I can tell when someone is either spinning it, lying, or trying to navigate their way out of a tricky situation. Hmm. And I will push as hard as I can. I'm an advocate for the audience that is listening to me. But I wish I could turn around and say that I am a contrarian, that I I, I have this constant stream of controversial thoughts, but I don't. Okay, I think that there are people who are far better placed to handle that mantle than I am. Maybe one day I'll become one, the older I get, when my career's running out. Maybe one year I shall be very contrarian, but not right now. Something that, that stood out for me when you interviewed uh, Pravin Godan mm. is the sense of dedication and altruism um, for the South African country. And I guess the overarching message from him was a sense of optimism. Now, being in the media space, and, and I'm going to let you say mm. what you w- wanted to say just now, are you hopeful and optimistic about the future of media, especially in this democratic space where sometimes propaganda finds its way into into media? Sometimes we're not telling stories from the right angle. We're pushing certain agendas. I am hugely optimistic about the future of media in this country, notwithstanding the fact that the assault on media freedom intensifies each and every day. We were talking earlier about the vindictiveness of social media. Sure. Um, as we approach the election in 2019, I think that the space of reportage and opinion is going to become that much more contested. Of that, there is no doubt. We have seen this before. Before, as the election cycle in this country starts to wind, and we're starting to see it now, uh, the, 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 the rhetoric, the anti is always upped. I accept that. But I think we have a strong bastion of media operatives in this country, and none of it, uh, n- none of the, the the discourse on 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 Jacob Zuma, on the Guptas, uh, would have been possible without this incredible work that has been done around the Gupta leaks and the mm. dedication mm. that the journalists have put 
uh, to that task. I look at people like uh, Jacques Poe, for instance, sure. and, and, and his controversial book. No doubt you have read it and you've probably even spoken to him. Um, so I am hugely optimistic about media in that front. Plus, we have a very robust constitution and we also have a media, this particular organization and the show, part of that, that doesn't take the crap. That we are prepared to push back and long may that last because the most important thing that we can have in this country is a vigorous, dedicated, interrogative fourth estate. Mm. We will continue to be assailed. I know that. Mm. But the reality is so far we've stood up to it and I think we will continue to do so. And I hope in your program and the work that you're doing, you also take that on board. It's critical. And I hope your listeners do. uh, I hope your listeners do as well. Thank you very much for that. With Jabu Mabuza, he, he paints this picture of mountains and valleys and just brings about this anecdote and allegory of, um, you know, traveling through mountains and mm. valleys. And, and, he, and he speaks about what that means in his life. And towards the end of that, you also share your sentiments about that, that um, allegory. Would you like to take us through that? I think that people tend to look at. First of all, uh, uh, Jabu Mabuza is one of my oldest friends. Um, and I also make the point uh, in the book that you must never be hosted by him at a sports event uh, I, because um, you'll um, you'll battle to get home. And I have, have first-hand experience of this, and this was pre-Uber days, by okay. the way. So that is important. The other thing, before we get to the to, to the to the to the to the valleys uh, question that you've put, um, he also understands the minutiae of of. Of politeness. Okay. So he always remembers people's names. When I interviewed him, he didn't approach me first. He spoke to my crew around me. Uh, it's a bit Mandela-esque in a way. He always looks beyond what he needs to do. So let's get that out the way. Sure. He is a magnificent man. He is now the newly installed chairperson at ESCOM. Mm-hmm. And I have huge uh, uh, confidence in his ability to turn that troubled utility around. The other point that he makes is that success is not linear. So it, it doesn't matter, uh, how successful you've become. It's, it's a road that will be pitted with potholes going into deep, dark valleys. And part of that adds to the, to the tapestry of your own success. You have to go into those valleys in order to be, uh, to be successful. The question that he poses, and I think to an extent he answers, is it's to what degree you come out of those valleys mm. once you really plunged into the depths of despair, of depression, whatever the case is, of failure. Sure. And it's what you learn from that. The lesson I took from him is that you are not going to be successful. You are not going to be a winner unless you enter into those valleys. You have to accept it. You need once you're there, it's fine to be frightened and anxious and nervous and bewildered and not knowing how you're going to get through this. But the reality is once you're through that situation, you've got to look back and you've got to say to yourself, it was arduous. It was very difficult. But what have I learned? And the lessons that I've learned, how can I then take those forward for when I go into the valley again? Because you will go into the valley again. Sure. Success. Winning is not just about overcoming one hurdle, going into one deep, dark valley. Sure. There are many. And in your career and in my career, we will continue to go into those valleys. Mm. What I would hope people do is learn something from them. Do you, would you say, you know, some of the highlights here is that remembering names throughout your, your career with the people that you've interviewed and the people that, that you interact with. Have you found that you've 
gotten better? No. At, at <laughs> no, not at all. Thousands of people. I mean, dead. and the worst of it is I am appalling with names and I've tried so many, I've tried so many, you know, putting a mnemonic to a name or, uh, you know, trying just desperately to make an association. You know, I have two magnificent producers on, 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 on my program on ENCA, Mags on Media. Sure. Um, um, Helene and, and Yashni. And I don't know if you remember that, 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 that movie about, um, Anna Wintour. Um, the Devil Wears Prada, oh, yes. the editor of, of Vogue, and sure. she always used to have two assistants standing next to her, whispering the person's name <laughs> uh, into their ear. I'm sadly I've been in that position where Helene and Yashni have done that for me before, um, but it's impolite, it's wrong. Uh, I, I I meet people in so many different contexts. I will interview a person. We'll eyeball each other on the radio or TV. Then I will bump into them in a shopping mall and the context is wrong. And I don't remember them, even though I spoke to them yesterday. I wish I could get better. If you have any tips for me, give them to me and I will use them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wendy Lucas um, speaks about telling a story, narrating a story with your life and looking at the life of Jeremy Maggs. What do you want people to learn? I want people to learn that you have to work hard. Hmm. You've got to put in the hours. Um, before this interview started, I was joking to you and your colleague about the rules of radio. And the rules of radio taught me many years ago when I started out at uh, 702 Talk Radio that for every hour you are on air, you should do an hour's preparation. Sure. So if you have an hour show, you prep for an hour. That's it. Three hour show, three, three hours, hours worth of preparation because you have to know your stuff. You have to work hard. You have to be absolutely dedicated to the task you have to have an end goal in mind but try to achieve the work-life balance if you can Hmm. Um, i've been very bad at that Um, i derive a great deal of pleasure from my work i derive a great deal of pleasure from doing something like this i love being behind a microphone you and i are broadcasters what's the definition of of a broadcaster we love the sound of our own voice (laughs) so we can we could do this we could do this for the rest of the day yes but i think what i've learned about myself is try and gear back try and enjoy the work-life balance if you can family is important every single person in this book has spoken about the importance of family um, I have just lost my mother. Uh, she was 91 years old. She had been ill for some time. And it was a blessing that at 91, she slipped away very, very quietly, surrounded by her family. And the one positive I took out of that as we gathered for her memorial service was that uh, you have to recognize the importance and the power of family, not only in good times, but also in adversity. Um, and I can't remember the rest of the question. Uh, but I think, I think it was a good answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. It was. Yeah. Uh, he, she speaks about the, the power of having mentors as well. Who's that one person that you've always um, took advice from and that has helped you immensely in your career? Second question to that question is, besides your two daughters who you've tried to instill mm. the, the, the culture of reading amongst yeah. other things, who are you mentoring as well? Okay, I am not a great believer in formal mentoring. Okay. Um, I have uh, I have never had a person, and maybe it's a generational thing, who I uh, decided was going to be my mentor and they would pull me through the rest of my life. What I have done is I have sucked the marrow out of people who I respect. Sure. And it doesn't matter. And often they're younger than me. In fact, most of the time these days, they are younger than me because I, I, you, the older you get, the more entrenched you become in your thinking. Sure. So I think older people need younger mentors. That, that's the one thing. Hmm. Um, so, you know, throughout my career, I've lent on broadcasters. I have 
befriended some guests that I've interviewed before and unusual people who just, who, who, who just, uh, have an energy about them that you, you want to draw something from. But I'm not a great believer in this process of formal mentoring. Do I mentor people? Not formally. But I am more than happy for people to sit down with me and talk to me and learn lessons from me. Mm. But here's the thing, and I think this is very important to your audience of young millennials, is that if you're looking for a mentor, you've got to make it work as the mentee. You've got to make sure that you find that person and you have got to organize the relationship with that person because the person who's mentoring inevitably is busy, uh, is focused oh, yes. on other things. They're not going to do it. You have to push them. You have to manage them. And sometimes you even have to harass them in a nice way to make sure <laughs> that they do that. I'm not going to name names of people at ENCA, but there have been a couple of young broadcasters who have done that. Yeah. Uh, they've said, Jeremy, we want you to help us, to mentor us. And I've said – I've given them that exact uh, exact advice. Here's my phone number. Phone me when you want to, but you make it work. Hmm. You push the person. Anyone who does that to me, I will give them the time of day, but it's not going to be a crutch either. Hmm. Is that I think uh, mentor mentorship is important for a short period of time, whether it's maybe it's one session, maybe it's a quick conversation over a cup of coffee, sure. but move on. Don't become dependent on the person that is mentoring you. Hmm. Mark, Mark, um Start speaking about uh, the power and, and yeah. the importance of delegation. This is Mark Lamberti, who yes. is with uh, formerly of MassMart, now with the Imperial Group. Yeah. Are you good at that? Yeah, I'm very good how's, at that. How's that helped you? In- um, I'm astonishingly. You know, people always say to me, "Gee, you know, you you work so hard. You public speaking. You're writing. You're on TV. You're on radio." And they say, "Well, how do you find the hour?" I have a lot of spare time in my life because I'm very good at delegating. Uh, Mark Lamberti says that you surround yourself with people, one, who can get the job done, but two, who are inevitably better than you. You have to do that and give them the enabling environment to make sure that they can get the job done. I'm very good at that. I'm not afraid to, 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 to delegate. I was very bad at it at one point, and I just tried to do everything. I tried to micromanage. It's rubbish. You can't do that. But you've got to have the right people to do it. And he, he is, he, if there's one thing I took out of that conversation with Mark Lamberti, or two things, in fact, one is read widely and eclectically. So don't just read about stuff that you're interested in. Mm. Try to go beyond that. So pick up a book on stamp collecting or pick up a book on wildlife or whatever the case is. Just have a quick look at it. it you become a polymath. Uh, you're interested in lots of things. And the other thing is don't sweat the small stuff. Let other people do that because ultimately what we're all trying to do, I think, is to work ourselves out of a job. Mm. Uh, You want to see other younger people taking over. And the only way in which they're going to do that is if they can – if if, if they are given the space uh, to be delegated to and to make mistakes. One more thing. When they make the mistakes, shit on them, Okay. It's important. Don't <laughs> okay. let people get away with murder. Don't let people sure. get away with laziness. Make sure that you keep them in line. You have to be hard in that respect. Hmm. Uh, but you have to allow them to do it. Otherwise, no one's going to grow. Peter Wundler, a very sterling man. Um, he also now speaks about self-esteem issues that um, he had and had to overcome. Looking at your life, starting out at 702, hmm. there must have been moments where you felt... I am not good enough or I'm not doing this right. Um, I want to do this as good as 
somebody else. So let you... me, first of all, let me pay tribute to Peter Wundler. Sure. Um, again, I've known Peter for many, many years. He is in the financial and the investment space right now. But, of course, you'll know him as one of the founders of the first real big black-owned advertising agencies, uh, Herd Boys McCann Erickson. Sure. Uh, and uh, along, with, um, uh, along with some incredible people, he changed the face of, uh, of advertising in South Africa. The interview with Peter really annoyed me because Peter is like me. So we took 20 minutes to dance around the fact that he had been successful because uh, he kept pushing it back saying, no, he wasn't. Yeah. And it was just getting annoying at some point. I said, now come on, Peter, just let, let's, for the, for the sake of this interview, you are successful. Um, having said that though, um, if you look at the mistakes that I have made, um, I started out at, uh, at, at, at 702, um, and I was reading the, uh, the first on-air job that I had was that I read the 5 a.m. news uh, in the morning. 5 a.m., I think it was a Sunday morning. And um, I botched it up completely. I Sheesh. did the most awful job. So you know, if it was a three-minute news bulletin, I think it took me 60 seconds to read oh it. My, my brother always jokes and said it sounded like I was a horse racing commentator. <laughs> and what did 702 do at that point? They did the right thing. They took me off air. Hmm. They said, you're not ready yet. I was devastated. Um, I, w- I won't say I was suicidal, but I was, I, was, I was crushed. I said I remember going home and saying to my wife, my job in broadcasting is over. I have been here for a year. I've worked up to this point, and I can no longer do it. And I remember taking a long walk around the neighborhood, and she, she talked me around. And what do you do? She said the only thing that you can do is you dive back in and just put in the hours. It's the most important thing. What's the secret of broadcasting, by the way? Don't talk too fast and be yourself. <laughs> that is Jeremy Maggs. Very wise man. Dropping pearls on the youth leadership platform. Tell me this. Uh, Vinnie Lingham comes up with a formula for success. Poise, the mnemonic um, that uh, we, we've developed for it, um, is persistence. Plus, yeah. so, while so while you're asking me this question, okay, <laughs> and keep going, I'm just going to go back and I'm going to try and find what the uh, what the secret, the, the formula of success is. Uh, while you're doing it, Vinnie Lingham is a, he, I mean, he's the most astonishing guy. He speaks a language that I literally do not understand. Uh, you know, he is he is so he's so involved in, uh, uh, in 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 technology and blockchain and Bitcoin and all of that. But what does he say? One is you have to be persistent. Sure. So you've got to keep pushing it the whole time. The second thing is you you've got to have a degree of optimism. Unless you genuinely believe in what you're doing, notwithstanding the fact that you will be plagued by self doubt, but overarching all of that, you've got to have a degree of optimism, and you also have to have a degree of insight. Sure. You have to understand the environment that you're working in. How do you do that? You read, you research, you talk to people, you be curious all the time, and that ultimately leads to success and to winning. So the, the, the formula is P plus O plus I equals S. And I thought that was clever. I don't think it's a real thing, but uh, how much time do you, do you spend in, in reading or just dedicate to picking up a book? I read, I read voraciously. I'm, I'm not going to lie. So, I mean, I, I made, I've, I've made the point that, uh, I was very lucky to have parents who instilled a love of books into me. We were forced initially and then by our own volition my brother and I to go to a library every Saturday morning and I've instilled that into my children as you mentioned a little earlier um, as as poor as I was 20 years ago um, if they wanted a book my wife and I would make sure that we scraped enough money to give it to them so that uh, that is that's absolutely important so reading for me is critical I read 
I don't. I, I, I like the. I like the tactility of a book. Sure. Of course, I use Kindle, and I'm. Um, I'm a ferret at book sales. I love secondhand bookstores, and nothing gives me greater pleasure. Uh, than on a Saturday morning spending at least 20, 25 minutes at any exclusive books, just wandering around and finding something that is of interest to me. Mm. I'm developing a very strange interest in the Second World War at the moment. I don't know why, <laughs> but I seem to be reading a lot about that. Okay. Right now we're going to pretend as if there's that camera over my right shoulder mm. and we are sitting at your offices mm -hmm. and I'm interviewing you for win. What is success? To Jeremy Max. Success, I think, ultimately is being happy in okay. what you have achieved and what you are achieving. So uh, I've thought a lot about is, does money equal success? Yes, it does. Of course it does. We are all creatures that are driven by material acquisition. Sure. I accept that. But it's not the only thing. I think fundamentally there's got to be a degree of happiness. There's got to be a degree of contentment in your life. And as 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 kind of altruistic as this sounds, it's nice to get home at the end of the day to say, I have done something which might have impacted positively on someone's life, whether you have made something, whether in this conversation that you and I are having, we have touched one individual mm. who's going mm. to say, gee, I didn't know that, or I'm going to do that in future. That to me is emblematic of success. But I'm not for one moment not going to say that to have the nice car, to have the nice house, to have the overseas travel, those are the trappings of success. We all want those, hmm. the nice clothes that people wear. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But the reality is happiness is important. But the other important component, lest I get called out by this, is also, I think, having a deep understanding of the social dynamic within which you live in as a person who has something. We live in a country where the disparity or the Gini coefficient in this country, I think at last count, was greater than anywhere else in the world. That's the, div the divide between rich and poor in this country. Hmm. And I also think that success these days is, should be defined by what you are doing. Uh, it's the call that uh, President Ramaphosa made uh, during his State of the Nation address. Take me along. What can I do? What contribution can Send I me. make? And I think that's important. Hmm. And I think the more we start to embrace those principles in this country, I think individually and I think notionally the country will be a whole lot more successful. Damn it, man. We're very selfish people sometimes. We can. We need, we need we to stop be. being selfish. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about legacy. Mm. Um, a lot of a topic that uh, a lot of your mm. interviewees um, ducked around. Looking at the life of Jeremy Maggs, 30 years later, a couple of shows, in major influence in the media and advertising space. Radio, the works, the works. Bongani, I genuinely don't think of legacy. I, I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to say I do. Um, I, I always joke to people that um, you know, my kind of, I think my crowning moment in television will probably be the quiz show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And I always say on my gravestone one day, there will be the line, that is his final answer, because uh, that was one of the lines from the show. <laughs> but um, I, I don't think of legacy. I think if... It's if I if you it were to push me on it, and I suspect that you are, it's not being remembered widely by people who you touched, okay. but maybe being remembered by one or two people 
uh, whose lives you might have positively impacted on and who have taken whatever wisdom or value you have imparted to them and maybe, maybe they've passed it on to somebody else. So it's a, it's an intangible feeling of just making a difference for generations to come. Mm. It'll be lost eventually, mm. but that, that to me is legacy. But for me, it's not about building monuments and making sure that, you know, there's a, there's a, there's an autobiography out sure. and all that. It's nonsense. I don't believe in that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now thinking about it, I'd interview you amiss if I didn't ask you about uh, your leadership style. Three leadership principles that have culminated to the success that you've been able to enjoy. All right. Um, it's common knowledge in the media business that when I managed uh, news, uh, a newsroom, I was head of news at 702 for uh, 11, 12 years. Um, I was young. I was full of vinegar, full of piss and vinegar. <laughs> And I was a fairly unpleasant person. Um, ask any any young person, well, they're not so young anymore, but ask any person who worked with me. I had the tendency of shouting. I was um, non-compromising. I used to throw things around a lot. Hmm. Um, there's keyboard. an apocryphal story. Yes, there's an apocryphal story about me throwing a keyboard <laughs> at a person uh, who didn't do what I wanted them to do. The keyboard ended up in the road outside the stories got bigger by the way it was it first of all it was a keyboard then it was an entire computer <laughs> then it was two computers that's not the way to lead it really isn't um and i am deeply ashamed when i think back in my my late 20s and early 30s about having that um that style of leadership i think it's two words that define leadership one is you have to be empathetic okay uh, and often the people that you have in the organization with you are the most important people who are going to do the job, even though sometimes you wish they weren't there. Mm. So somebody who's much smarter than me, uh, who I worked for at ENCA, a young guy called Patrick Conroy, who was the head of, e, uh, head of ENCA. I remember having this conversation with him, and he said, you've got to love the ones you've got. Okay, it's easier to work with the ones that you've got than getting rid of people and bringing new people in. The second thing is you really do need to listen. Okay. These days you have to consult. You've got to have a conversation. But also leadership is about listening to a point and then saying, okay, enough is enough now. We've got to make a decision. I worry sometimes that in South Africa we are too obsessed with consensus, with conversation, with commissions of inquiry, with task teams, and we don't actually get the job done. Mm. Consult, uh, you have to talk about it. You've got to get as many different opinions as you can. But I worry sometimes that we play such a long game that we don't make decisions. So good leadership is also making decisions once you have the information and making them quickly. I think it was Mark Lamberti um, that also made the point is that there is so much information that you can have before you have to make a decision. Yes. You won't always have the right information. Sure. But if, you, if, you, if your needle is moving at around 70, 80 percent, you've got to make the decision. Hmm. I think that's my leadership style. Hmm. Lastly, mm. the biggest lesson you've learned and the one lesson that you want to pass down to millennials, whether in the media and broadcasting industry or any industry really, about success. Well, let me just say, first of all, and I think I said it earlier in this magnificent conversation that we've had, and I've, I've so enjoyed it. Um, I, I think I am, I'm, it's a pleasure. <laughs> I, I am, I am collectively annoyed, irritated, 
uh, and in perpetual awe of the millennial generation. Mm. I am taught things by millennials all the time. And one of the things that I insist on having, certainly in the shows that I do at ENCA, is that unless I have millennial input, um, it's going to be a disaster. So mm. that, that, is, that is the one thing. So the, what have I learned? The, the one big lesson that I've learned in, 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 about being successful, don't take yourself too seriously. We all take ourselves immensely seriously. Sometimes because we think we're doing a really important job, and maybe we are doing an important job. But dial back the ego. Uh, try not to be so pompous and full of your own self-importance. Hmm. That, to me, is the one lesson that I have learned, not just from the people that I've interviewed in Adrian the book, Gore, for instance. but lots of other people as hmm. well, people that I engage with all the time. is just, for goodness sake, take it down a notch. Hmm. Well, thank you very much. It's It's been quite exciting. And I think with a lot of what we've discussed today, I hope that um, our listeners will take a lot from, 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 from this conversation and they're going to learn a lot. Um, so how do people access you? People can access me via my email address. So it's jeremy.mags at etv.co.za. I'm not always good at replying immediately. Okay. But I do reply. I'd love to hear from your audience have a conversation i hope they read the book okay awesome tell me this are you successful am i successful i thought we'd established at the beginning of the conversation <laughs> i am not I, letting you go that i didn't think i was <laughs> successful i think i've been successful in parts okay um i have not and we discussed this earlier i had i've not achieved all the goals that i've set out for myself i didn't even know what some of those goals are i have achieved certain milestones this book is one of them um Launching, uh, you know, launching a television station was being one of them. Uh, I spent a magnificent year at Power ninety eight point seven FM doing a, a news program. I hadn't been on radio for ten years, and I went back and I thought, could I still do radio? And I could still do it. That was that was important to me. So yeah, I think I would. I have been successful by some measure, but I have been. I still maintain that if you're looking at success on the rungs of a ladder as we started our conversation uh, the conversation with I am nowhere near the top I'm happy to be somewhere in the middle there are far more successful South Africans than I am and I salute them all of them <laughs> I guess this is the part of the book where when you reminisce about some of the people that you were interviewing I also get the chance to say that I'm quite annoyed with Jeremy Maggs because he does not want to admit to success but here he is he just gave us the science of what winning is about. But thank you for, for coming to the leadership platform. You've been such a pleasure to host and all the best with all the shows and your endeavors. Of much. all the interviews I've done around this book, I'm going to be very honest with you. This was one of the most insightful and engaging and most enjoyable that I've done. And can I tell you why I really appreciated it? Because you did your work. You did the homework. You've read the book. You've made your notes. We had a good conversation. I'm going to come back. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. Um, that was Jeremy Maggs. Follow the conversation on at Youth Leadership Platform on Facebook, YLP Cliff Central on Twitter and Instagram, at Simply Bongani across all social media. This is CliffCentral.com.